everyone, it's Leslie Aludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. Today we're going to be building on the previous podcast that we did, and we're going to be focusing on how to live a poured out life. In the last podcast, we talked about how to gain an eternal focus, and one of the ways that you can tell that your life is built around things of eternity is that you become outward focused. You begin to care about the things that God cares about, and your life isn't just about building up your own fulfillment and your own pursuits. Many of us are involved in gaining an education, pursuing a career, learning new skills, traveling, cultivating a hobby, or even building a ministry. But I think it's important to stop and evaluate the key question, what is it all for? What is the ultimate purpose for everything that we're doing and learning and spending our time on? Is it for self or is it for God? Because you can even have a ministry that is based on selfish ambition and not truly for the glory of God. Everything you do needs to be focused in one direction, and that is upward, whether it's an education, a career, a ministry, a hobby, a home, a family. It all needs to be about him and not about us. If we're doing any of those things so that we can gain more personal fulfillment or enjoyment out of life, then we're not truly at the complete disposal of our commanding officer, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.4. We live in a very self-worshipping culture, and I've talked about this many times on this podcast before, but you're constantly hearing these messages that say, go for your dreams, do what makes you happy, and follow your heart. But Jesus has a very different message. And as we've talked about the verse in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And deny literally means to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. And in Ephesians 2, 10, he reminds us that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we understand this concept that we are to deny self, to lose sight of self in our own interests, take up our cross and follow him, and that he has actually prepared in advance good works for us to walk in, we begin to realize that this life really isn't supposed to be about us. Now, I know many people get squeamish when you hear the words good works because it sounds like earning your salvation or trying to prove something to the world. There's so many messages for women today. It's you don't need to prove anything to anybody. Just be yourself. Stop trying to earn everybody's favor by doing all these good things. And there is an element of truth to that because if you're doing good works for the approval of men, then you're not doing them out of the right motive. But that does not mean that we abandon living a poured out life and just build life around selfish pursuits. It is actually a privilege and an amazing invitation to sacrificially give to the one who gave everything for us. And that's really what living a poured out life is all about. Not about trying to prove something to this world, not about trying to Uh, show our good works to men, but to say, Lord, I want to sacrificially give to the one who gave everything for me. When we give our lives to Christ, we are no longer our own. He has a claim on our lives. He has a purpose for us beyond just going after our own dreams and frittering our lives away on selfish pursuits. We are his body. He has commissioned us to become his hands and feet to a lost and dying world. 
I love the picture of communion, the Lord's Supper, because when Jesus offered the Lord's Supper to his disciples, he was in essence saying, all that I am and all that I have is being spilled out for you. And yet there's another side to communion. As we take that symbol of his blood and his body, we are declaring, Lord, all that I am and all that I have is now for you. It's a it's a symbol of our covenant with him. He made a covenant with us and we respond and make a covenant back with him. And it's really heartbreaking to see so many Christians completely overlook that beautiful covenant that Christ wants to enter into with us. We have a claim to all that he is but he has a claim to all that we are. I began to recognize quite a ways into my full-time Christian ministry that my life wasn't fully available to God to let him take me out of my comfort zone or really live sacrificially. I had boundaries around what I was willing for God to do with my life when it came to living a poured out sacrificial life. I was willing to write and to speak and to do those kinds of things, but God began to burden my heart with the needs around the world of vulnerable children, of young girls trapped in the trafficking business, or of slaves, or of refugees. And I began to recognize that there is a whole aspect of the Christian life that I was overlooking, and that was answering that sacred claim that he had on my life to say, Lord, I'm not going to put boundaries around how you can use these hands, how you can use these feet, how you can use this life to reach the least and the lost and the vulnerable. I began to study the needs of vulnerable children around the world, and it was really eye-opening for me. I had never realized until I began to say, God, teach me about this and show me. I never realized how many orphans there were in the world. I remember somebody telling me they thought there were like 20 million orphans in the world, which sounded like a lot to me. But then as I really started to look at it, I realized or I heard that there were actually between 143 and 163 million orphans in the world. And the number is only growing because of the AIDS epidemics that are happening in different parts of Africa and other parts of the world. And as I began to study the fact that there are 27 million human slaves in the world today, just looking at the needs of even the foster care system in the U.S., that there are thousands and thousands of children trapped in that system and actually close to 80 percent of inmates in U.S. prisons came out of the U.S. foster care system, just to give you an idea of where that's leading. And so oftentimes we are so overwhelmed when we look at these kinds of needs. And I know I was. I thought, where do I even begin? How do I even take a first step? And God's clear message to my heart was start with one. And that sounded like a small step. And yet it ended up being a very big step in my life. He wanted to give me his burden for the least and the vulnerable by starting with one. And I we felt that we were to make a difference in the lives of orphans and vulnerable children, Eric and I did, but we weren't sure what that looked like. We went to an adoption agency near us that specialized in adoptions from China and Korea. When we went to this agency, we were not thinking well, we're going to adopt a child. In fact, we didn't have the money for an adoption. We didn't necessarily feel ready for an adoption. But we thought we would at least find out about the orphan crisis and what we might be able to do through our ministry to help support what they were doing. 
But as we talked with the woman who was there, we began to hear about the fact that there were a lot of families, a lot of Christian families that were waiting to adopt a healthy child from Korea or China, but that there were an entire group of children called waiting children who had some form of special needs. And they were on a waiting list trying to find a family who was willing to adopt them. And I remember asking a lot of questions about these waiting children because I found out that they have a short window of time where they're made available for their photo and their story and their name to be seen by adoptive families. And if nobody wants to adopt them, then very likely they'll end up in an institution for the rest of their life. And so I asked the woman, well, what type of special needs are you talking about with these special needs, these waiting children? And she said, well, it really can be anything from a deformity to a very serious medical issue. But for example, we have this two-month-old baby girl who has, she was born with no fingers. She only has thumbs and she has deformities on her feet. And she has been passed over by so many families that are waiting for a healthy girl. And she only has a short time left before she'll be institutionalized. And Eric and I were just sort of stunned into silence as we listened to her story, thinking that here was this baby girl in Korea who had been abandoned by her parents because of her deformities and now was being overlooked or passed over by possible adoptive families because of her deformities. And it was funny because before we went into the adoption agency, Erica told me not to look at any pictures. Don't let them show you any pictures of kids because he was afraid that I would become emotionally attached to these adorable children in photos and we'd have to adopt all these kids. And so we had agreed together that we weren't going to look at pictures of kids. And the woman, as we were asking questions about this little girl with her hands, um, she said, well, I could show you her picture. And Eric was like, no, 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 don't don't show us her picture. We don't want to see any pictures. And then she said, well, at least I could just show you a picture of her hands. And that way you'll know what kind of deformities she has. And so we thought, well, sure, you know, show us a picture of her hands. What's that going to do anyway to us? That's not going to make us want to adopt her necessarily. But as this woman slid this photo across the table of these two little teeny baby hands, they were taken when she was eight days old and they had, they were little balls with these little thumbs sticking out. They were so precious and so beautiful. And to realize that this little child had already been through so much rejection because of these precious hands, it was just absolutely Uh, stunning to think about. And we were just sort of staring at her picture thinking, God, what do you want us to do? And the woman was offering, you know, you could take her file home, you could think about this. And we were sort of like, no, that's okay. We'll just, we'll just think about everything you've told us. And we somehow left and got in the car and we were so um, just shocked and God was stirring in our heart. And yet we didn't really have words for it. I remember thinking, well, I really think that maybe we're supposed to be the ones to adopt this child. I had heard Jackie Pullinger once say, you know, if you hear about a need, don't just assume that somebody else is going to answer that need. Maybe you're hearing about it because God wants you to be the answer for that need. And that was what was going through my mind. It was sort of like, I don't know where we would get the money. I don't know how this would work, but maybe we are the answer to this child's need. And I looked over at Eric thinking, oh, I'm really going to have to talk him into this idea. And yet I saw that he had tears streaming down his face and God was really speaking the same thing to him. So we began to pray as we were driving home. 
And the words of Psalm 68 came to mind where it says, you are a father to the fatherless and you set the solitary in families. And when we got home, there was an email waiting for us from someone who had no idea we were even going to an adoption agency. And she said, I just wanted to share this verse with you today. And it was the same exact scripture. You are a father to the fatherless and you put the solitary in families. And so we knew this was God's one that he wanted us to begin with. And so we called the agency back. They were closed for the weekend. And I was so panicky all weekend long thinking, somebody else is going to adopt this child. And I know she's supposed to be ours. But she was still available on Monday morning when we called. And we began to see just so many miracles from the financial side to even her transition home. Everything we prayed for, we watched God do so miraculously. And one thing that we learned through that first step of obedience, of taking a stand for this child who's now our 10-year-old daughter named Harper, if you want to see the power of God in your life, if you want to see answered prayer, if you want a sense of true purpose, then stand up for the weak and vulnerable. It may not be adoption. It may be a foster child, or it may be supporting a family who's adopting, or it may be something entirely different, like reaching out to persecuted Christians in other countries, or helping prisoners and refugees. Let God show you what that one step of obedience is to look like for you. Now, God would not let us pitch our tents. And not too long after Harper's adoption, our son Hudson, who was about three, three and a half at the time, began to learn more about the orphan crisis. I don't think he really understood that Harper had been an orphan uh, because he was only two when she came home and he kind of just thought, well, that's how you get a little sister. You just go to the airport and pick up a baby and that's your sister. He didn't really understand what had happened when we were able to bring Harper home. But he began to awaken to this at a deeper level when he was about three or three and a half when a friend of ours had gone to Haiti and brought back pictures of orphans and vulnerable children who were very sad and sick. And he began to look at these pictures and think, what is this? What What is wrong with these children? Why are they sad? Why are they sick? And we began to explain to him what an orphan was. And he really decided, you know, God wanted us to bring some of these orphans home because, you know, if they are kids without a mom and a dad to take care of, them, then why couldn't he, Hudson, just share his perfectly good mom and dad with them? And he he came up with a plan that we would go to Haiti and bring back 20 of these orphans. He thought 20 would be a good number. And I was trying to explain to him that I didn't think we really would have room in our house for 20. But how do you reason with the three-year-old who has this in his mind? And he thought about that for a while. And a few days later, he, he said, I want to show you something upstairs. And he took Eric and I up stairs and he had made orphan beds all over the house. He had made several in his room, a few in the hall, some in Harper's room and some in our room. I think he even had one in the bathroom, but it was a blanket and a pillow and one of his very best stuffed animals. And to him, he it was just ludicrous that we wouldn't have room. He said, see, of course we have room. And it was amazing to just be staring straight in the face the simplicity of a child, the purity of heart that says, if I see someone in need, I want to share what I have with them. It's the essence of a poured out life. And through Hudson's challenge to us, we realized we were not done with standing up for vulnerable children. Harper's story was just the first step. And eventually this led to another adoption 
with a, a young teen mom at our church who was looking for an adoptive family for her child. And then we um, had one of those stories that they, everybody says, oh, that always happens, where we found out we were pregnant the day that we brought that little guy home. So we had two babies within um, seven months of each other. And then two years later, we went through a very grueling 29-month adoption process of two little Haitian children, which was probably the hardest thing that I've ever walked through. And a lot of other things that God has asked us to do to live a poured out life and to begin loving sacrificially and to get out of our comfort zones. And I can say that through all of those steps of obedience, there have been many heartaches and discomforts along the way. And yet God is always bringing me back to that question, are you willing to give everything to the one who gave everything for you? And that question very quickly answers itself. It's so important to realize that living a poured out life is going to look different for everyone, but it's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's not something we should do out of some legalistic sense of like, well, this is what I have to do because I'm a Christian. Rather, it's an amazing privilege to pour out our lives for the one who gave everything to redeem us. Amy Carmichael, I've, I've quoted her many times throughout this podcast, but when she was a missionary in India, people began bringing needy children to her. And then she began to find out about this terrible temple traffic that was happening where young girls were being sold into prostitution by their own family members. And she began to rescue these children. And soon she just had hundreds of these children. And there was a proverb in India that said, children tie the mother's feet. She was not able to travel. She was not able to speak. She she was not able to have a big evangelistic ministry as she had dreamed of, but she said, we let our feet be tied for the sake of the one whose feet were pierced. And I thought that was so powerful. And I've thought about that so many a times in my adoption journey, because if I had just had my two biological children and that's it, my life would be a lot easier. There's no question about it. And yet God has added four children to our family in addition to our two biological children because of adoption. And it does tie our feet. It does require sacrifice. It does make uh, less resource and finance to go around the family. And yet to let our feet be tied for the sake of the one whose feet were pierced. What a powerful word picture. What a powerful concept. Some people hear stories like this. They hear stories of adoption or they hear stories of the great missionaries who went and rescued people in foreign countries or people who were great evangelists or people who poured their lives out for the poor, the needy, the destitute, those living in poverty. You know, you hear about people like Jackie Pollinger going to the walled city of Hong Kong and rescuing and administering the gospel to the most destitute. And it's very easy to think. Well, great for that person, but I'm not called to that. I, that's not part of my calling. Now, it may not be adoption. It may not be the walled city of Hong Kong. It may not be China. It may not be India. But living a poured out life one way or another is a part of your calling. No matter where we are, no matter what our situation is, we are called to turn outward. We are the body of Christ. And it's specifically a call upon godly women. As it says in Proverbs 31, 20, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. And 1 Timothy 5, 10, well reported for good works. She, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' 
feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That's that's a list of qualifications for a godly widow in the New Testament. And then James 1.27 makes it very clear, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The Bible is filled with very clear commands that this life is not to be about us, but to be poured out. And just a very quick glimpse at the need around the world today. About 25,000 people die every day of hunger or hunger-related issues, which is one person every three and a half seconds. There are between 143 and 163 million orphans in the world, and the number is only growing. There are 27 million human slaves in the world today, which is more than in the days of William Wilberforce. There are nearly 700,000 children in the U.S. foster care system. Nearly 80% of inmates serving time in U.S. prisons have come out of the foster care system. And perhaps the biggest tragedy of all is the fact that approximately 150,000 people die every day without knowing Christ. And we know the end of that story. I came across this quote this week from William Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army. And he, it was said that he would preach with this very booming, authoritative, commanding voice. And I can just almost imagine him saying these words to people who are saying, well, I don't really think I'm called to these causes. These are his words. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to your Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Those are pretty convicting words. Many of you have probably heard the story that is often told about a group of Christians in Germany during the Holocaust when they would have cattle cars of Jews being hauled away to the concentration camps. Oftentimes, these cattle cars would be parked right outside the doors of this beautiful, ornate church on a Sunday morning, and the Jews would lift their voices and bang on the sides of these cattle cars and cry for help, thinking, if anyone will help us, it'll be the Christians inside that church building. But those Christians did not want to hear those cries. They did not want to get out of their comfort zone. They were intimidated. They were feeling, well, I'm not called to get involved in that issue. So they turned up the volume of their pipe organ and they sang their hymns louder to drown out the cries of those screaming Jews. And that is a horrifying story, but we have to ask ourselves the question, are we turning up the volume in our own lives to drown out the cries of the needy, turning up the volume of our devices, our social media, our selfish living, and our temporal pursuits so that we don't hear the cries of the weak or the lost all around us? Have we become so weighed down with our own cares and troubles that we have forgotten to turn outward? Now, it's easy to think, well, I have so many of my own issues. I'm the one who needs people to minister to me. I'm not ready to turn outward. I've got my own issues to work through. That may be true, and you may need someone to minister to you, and God does care about the issues that you're struggling with. But one thing I want to tell you is that turning outward is an amazingly effective cure for depression and personal issues. It wouldn't seem that it would make that big of a difference, but it does. When you suddenly get your eyes off yourself and begin 
living for a higher purpose than yourself and becoming a vessel of Christ's light to reach the lost and the destitute, it gives you a joy. It gives you a sense of purpose and it lifts you up out of a pit of depression. Jackie Pollinger tells a story about a prostitute who was had gone through every horrible thing you could possibly imagine, and she came to Christ in her 50s or 60s. So she had a lifetime of abuse and pain to work through. And Jackie was thinking, how are we ever going to work through everything this woman has been through? It's going to take forever to counsel her through all of her issues. But as this woman began to turn outward, as she began to serve orphans, as she began to serve widows, as she began to reach out to the poor, it was like healing just flowed into her life and she had the joy of the Lord and she suddenly wasn't wallowing in her own issues anymore. So think about that. If the enemy is trying to come to you and say, you know, you're too bogged down with your own issues to turn outward, turning outward may be the very thing that brings God's healing into your life. Your one step of obedience may be very different than mine was. There are many causes that are on God's heart, many burdens that he wants us to be carrying, the orphans and the widows, foster care children, refugees, prisoners, the elderly and the sick, persecuted Christians, and even discipling and mentoring younger women in this country. We've talked about this on previous podcasts of the amazing battle that is happening right under our very noses of teen girls in this country and the abortion issue. And one of the reasons that the pro-choice camp is prospering with teens today and and leading them to make these heartbreaking decisions is because of lack of mentors among teen girls today. So even that is an incredible mission field. So I encourage you to ask God what one step he would be asking you to take today. Instead of getting overwhelmed, focus on shifting your heart attitude. It's a heart attitude that says, my life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm ready to put aside selfish, shallow pursuits and make myself available to you, Lord, no matter the cost. In conclusion, I would like to share with you a quote from Betty Scott Stam, a young missionary who lived a little before the time of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And Betty Stam, her words that she wrote in her journal at the age of 18 became an inspiration to Elizabeth Elliot later in life. But she wrote these words, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost. And Betty Scott Stam, along with her husband, ended up becoming a martyr in China just a few years later. She was willing to pour out her very life's blood to fulfill that call of God upon her life. And her life was so eternally fruitful, even though it was short, even though a lot of people could look at her sacrifice and think, why would God take her at such a young age? Because of her willingness to pour herself out, thousands of missionaries were inspired to go and to give their all. And thousands were inspired to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to say those very words to God? Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost. If you have this heart attitude, God will show you the good works that he has prepared before for you to walk in one step of obedience at a time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. For more on this topic, please visit setapartgirl.com and consider joining us for our upcoming Set Apart Conference, May 26th and 27th, 2017 via simulcast or in Colorado. And I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.